feel like Gordon Bombay would have taken his career to even further heights. Everything's flashy, everything's cocaine, everything's fun. Open wide for some soccer! I don't care what you think about, what your personal thoughts are at home. I care that you hate the Cowboys. Call this college rule! Welcome back, everybody, to the Sports Experience Podcast. It's Dom and Chris here. We're back in the saddle. And uh, before we get into our episode, just a little housekeeping here. I'm recording down here at Engel Studio for all of your recording needs in Tucson, Arizona. Just a couple of comics uh, who enjoy talking sports. So go follow us on all our socials as far as the Sports Experience. And you'll see them listed below in this here video for both of us. So, uh, Chris... Who we got today? Today, we are in the danger zone. Danger we zone. doing Kenny Loggins. Wait, did I research the wrong guy? Got- you researched the right man. <sighs> All right, here we go. Kenny Loggins started eighth grade musical. You're- <laughs> we're talking about today, we're talking Kenny Lofton, one of the best leadoff guys from his era. And we were talking about how he went from a guy that nobody thought was going to be able to be a professional baseball player to... A, a literally reliable. He's a top. borderline Hall of Famer. Honestly, we'll, we, we'll talk about we'll that. Get into that. So uh, Kenny Lofton, born May thirty first, nineteen sixty seven, in East Chicago, Indiana. Yeah, very rough upbringing, Chris. Well, I didn't know there was an East Chicago. There's an so. East St. Louis, <laughs> number two ninety nine on the world's most livable cities. Take that, East St. Louis. But no, East Chicago, Indiana. Um, raised by his widowed grandma, actually. Yep. Uh, Rosie Person. Um, um, mom had him when she was in high school. Yep. Rough yep. upbringing. I think uh, what was said about his dad was he was just like, they literally never brought him up. He was not even like a... Not even in the picture. Yeah. Like, there probably were no pictures of him exactly. growing up. Like, he literally has no idea who that is. Yeah, but um, his uh, after graduation, his mom basically just left to Alabama and left Kenny to be raised by Rosie, who was a widow, because her husband died. He was, I believe, a steel worker, and uh, she also had glaucoma, Yep, raising... Young Kenny, who was three pounds when he was born, and they were so afraid to pick him up and that they might drop him, they carried him around on a little pillow, which, uh, not the greatest start. Very uh, different than a number of our athletes. Well, yeah, very, I mean, he was a premature born baby. It was like everything was kind of stacked up against him. Yeah. Um, his grandma raised seven kids of her own, lived only on social security, um, and because of the absentee father, money was tight. Oh, yeah. They lived in a uh, basement of a two-story house. Um, Kenny did not have a lot of uh, amenities growing up. His uh, really very low on food, clothes, and being able to wash said clothes. Uh, Grandma for Christmas would make hand puppets and uh, quilted blankets for the kids. So uh, he uh, apparently he never cried growing up um, and would laugh at everybody crying because... The saddest part was looking at other kids who had shit. <laughs> well, and I, I thought about this, too, when she was like, or when he was talking about it, it was just like, you gave us blankets for Christmas. I always thought about that when you would get a jacket for Christmas. Yeah. Like, All of the cold just happened. I needed this in November. Damn it. I needed this in June You're so just, I could grow yeah. into it. Just like, well, next year, just like next year, there's going to be holes in it. Right. <laughs> So anyway, um, Kenny found an outlet, though, like yes. most of our underprivileged uh, athletes do in sports. And uh, at Washington High School in East Chicago, he was a star not only on the baseball field, but the basketball court. 
Well, I, I read this where he was talking about baseball was his love or whatever you want to say. Like that was like his his desire, but for whatever reason, the avenues were there for basketball. Oh, yeah. And when you're a slick left-handed player like yep. Kenny Lofton, where you're not only a pitcher and center fielder, you're an incredible point guard in high school. I was wondering how good of a pitcher he was. Because right? he, he, break, he breaks off here, he doesn't do baseball for a while, and when he comes back, he just does center field. And like it, it's one of those things where if he continued on, would he have gone in to be a, just a dominating left-handed pitcher? Or, you know, it's... it's like 5'11", 180 pounds, 6 feet, 180 pounds. I feel like if he was 6'5", oh, yeah. then they probably would have made him a pitcher. But yeah, um, and plus speed. his speed. Yeah, I was that, that say, was the... it's like, we'll get into that. Uh, so he plays so well in uh, basketball at Washington High School that he gets a scholarship to college to play basketball where, Chris? For the one loot. Super Fox. <laughs> Comes to the U of A, backs up Kerr. Is there, I mean, backup point guard for the first two years, or you know what I mean? And this is like when U of A is building the juggernaut that it is today, what it's known for. It's really when you see the recruiting of these top athletes. If that, you know what I mean, where he brings them in and he's, you know, like he could make it in either baseball or basketball. And but he's only playing basketball at this point. He's only playing what he's on scholarship for his first couple of years. Backing up Steve Curry, you got Sean Elliott on the floor um, in 86-87. He starts 21 games for the Cats, uh, 6.4 points a game, 3.3 assists, and uh, almost two steals. And then in 87-88, it's a banner year for the Wildcats. Well, it's it's literally the year, I feel like, that sets them up for the recruiting classes that come in and we're like, oh, yeah, because you see them go to the Final Four. You remember the 90s, everyone? This is the team that creates it. That's literally what, I mean, you're, you're a middle school kid and you watch this and you're like, oh, yeah, I'll play for that Silver Fox. Yeah, definitely. And he's their sixth man. He's just that speedy kind of instant offense, do everything guy off the bench for them. Um, They end up losing in the national semifinal to, I believe, Kansas. Yeah, no, Oklahoma. One of the two. They met in the finals. And then in 88-89, Kerr's gone. So he's the starting point guard. Makes 33 starts, 5.5 points a game, 4.1 assists, two steals. Unfortunately, they go to the Sweet 16. And as we discussed in our Running Rebels episode... They lose on a last-second shot by Anderson Hunt, which Kenny plays a part in. Yeah, I was going to say, it's one of those where he like tries to draw a foul, mm-hmm. and you're like, yeah, I could see what he was doing. But when the play plays out, you're like, what are you doing? Oh, I know. It's one of those soccer moments as yes. far as we're not accusing Kenny of flopping or anything, but it was a good non-call by it the was. refs. It, when you look at it, you're like, that played out the way it should have, and he should have been more aggressive. But it's he's so much smaller than Anderson Hunt, though. and it's just literally at the end of that, he's just like they're finally going to call this foul. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I, I know what he was thinking. It's just watching that, you're just like, oh god! It's like Kenny, no, don't do the over the top soundtrack. So they lose sixty eight to sixty seven. But by this point. Kenny has found a new sport at U of A. And mind you, they have a usually always had a pretty darn good baseball team. Yes, and that was something I found interesting because he literally had to try out his junior year to play baseball because he said he missed it. Yeah. And he tries out, makes the team, and uh, is does pretty well with them. That, that's what I found interesting was he didn't do it for two years. The, just his yeah. freshman, sophomore year, not even trying out. Yeah, and uh, by... Um, that point, he's a pinch runner a lot because obviously, as we'll get into, yeah. 
very fast, very fast. Some say that he could run and beat everyone in a foot race in his pajamas uh, during spring training, as we'll get into. Um, only had one at bat, um, but he caught the eye at this point of an Astro scout named Clark Christ, who said he had a hitch in his swing, looked lost in the field, but wowed by that speed. Well, he saw his athleticism, and that, that was something I feel like they look at they're like, you have a hitch in your swing, we'll fix that. Your base running is technically not up to par, but your speed is so great, it's like overlapping it. There was like, there's shit yeah. like that where I imagine he looked at it and he's just like, oh, I can mold that. It's like Dave Steeb almost. It's like, we're not going to pick you in the first round. Hell, we're not going to pick you in the first 15 <laughs> rounds. But like, we know you're good. You'll be on the board and we'll snatch you up and develop you. Yeah. But uh, so he's picked in the uh, 17th round in the 88 draft, but he kind of pisses the Astros off because he elects to stay at U of A to earn his degree. I actually liked this. I do too, dude. Because he literally promised his grandma who raised him. He said, yeah. I'm going to get my degree. They drafted him and said, please. I think they were asking him to come to Florida. Yeah. And he was just like, no, I'm going to my last year. I'm finishing this and then I'll go play minor yeah, leagues I will play you. for you in the summertime. Yeah. But not, you know, throughout the rest of the year. Um, Houston was kind of salty, but uh, in 88 in Auburn, he hit 214 with 26 stolen. And this is what you see kind of early in his minor league career. He's learning how to become a professional hitter. But when he gets on base, he's just snatching those bases. Yeah, seriously. And that's, I bet, watching him do that, you're like, oh, man, if he gets his swing in order, <laughs> he is going to be so lethal because on, you're like, on base, even back then, yeah. he was just dangerous. Oh, totally. So in 89, he's playing for Auburn and then Asheville in the uh, South Atlantic League. Hits 292 with uh, 40 stolen bases. And uh, one thing about Kenny I did want to bring up, he puts the ball in play. And he has a very, uh, very um, good uh, plate discipline. So his walk-to-strikeout ratio is usually one-to-one. -one, but they're both kind of low because, well, he hits the ball on the ground and his leg in a mount, Chris. And that's it's very, very true. And it, it'll come up later when he uh, gets onto a different team that bunting becomes a huge part of his. Yeah. Because it, this is what you, you see with him is like he really understands what the type of hits he needs to make. If that makes like. He knows his skill set. Yes. He's not walking up there like Frank Thomas ready to launch some dingers, but he knows I'm a table setter. It, yeah, seriously. I'm a fire starter. Um, but uh, you had brought up before about his coaches in Asheville and um, Auburn about his improvement, though. They they literally said, I've never seen, because this is later on when he's playing for Cleveland and yeah. he has like three gold gloves back to, you know what I mean? It, it's like that. And he, they said, I've never seen a player improve so much from when it was a guy who couldn't hit the ball out of the infield to somebody now who's literally the top offensive weapon. The, like you said, literally the fire starter. Like that's where he was. And it's, it, I don't remember which one said it, but he was just like, it made me rethink some guys where I was just like, oh, you suck to be like, oh, we need to work on this because your athleticism is so much more than everybody else's. Well, and I think what factors in with Kenny and, you know, 
I think a lot of it has to do with his path to professional sports is nobody could outwork him. He had the raw natural ability, but he's not, you know, the basic fundamental stuff. Once you teach him that, my God, the yeah, sky's his, the limit with him. He'll his get, work ethic, yeah. yes. That's why, and that was something else I feel like they look at, they're just like, oh, you have the athleticism, but you're actually going to work on this. Yeah. Like, he, like they were saying, he couldn't hit the ball out of the infield. He was like a Michael Jordan in that we were just like, dude, get it together and... He just needed time. Yeah, he just needed time. Um, in 90, uh, he moves on to Osceola in the Florida State League. And this is where he becomes a line-to-line kind of gap-to-gap hitter in addition to legging out infield hits and bunt yep. singles. Hits 331 with 15 doubles, five triples, two dingers for Kenny this year, Woo. and uh, 62 stolen bases. <laughs> so not he, he basically just skips – Double A, I think. Yes, and then go straight to Tucson. Yes, maybe. he does. Which, a ninety-one homecoming at a high Corbett Field. It had to have been actually great for him because I oh, bet totally. he was living in Tucson, and then he for U going to U of A, and then literally as like two or three years out, and then comes right back and plays for the Toros. You got a built-in um, fan base. Yeah. I mean, and the cachet of that first Final Four team. You know, you're treated like a king in this town. You get Olive Garden for free. <laughs> Dom's Nobody throwing wants it away it for free. <laughs> I'll give it to a hobo. No, that's mean. I would never do something like that. I'm to not going to poison person. a homeless person. Yeah, Jesus. No. I'll just go down the street to a QT. <laughs> but uh, so in '91, he's with the Tucson Toros. God, I miss those games. I know. I probably went to some of these games that I summer. thought so too. I moved here in '89. Okay. Um, and I know my dad took us to games when we were that young. And I was thinking about this when I looked it up. I was like, I probably saw Kenny play. Yeah. When I was six, you know, like you just didn't know it, but you were yeah. like. It's all matching up right now. Yeah. So he hits 308, 19 doubles, 17 triples to lead the Pacific Coast League. Two dingers, uh, 50 RBIs, and 40 stolen bases, and they win the Pacific Coast League championship, beating the Calgary Cannons in a five-game series. And they're so good because minor league team seasons and right before September call-ups, the Houston Astros say, hey, Kenny, want to play some center field? Because we're in the cellar of the NL West right now. So he, so he gets called up. Called up September 14th, 1991. Uh, in his debut, he goes three for four with a double and three runs against Cincinnati and finishes out his 20-game stretch with a 203 batting average and two stolen bases. Unfortunately for Kenny... His future in Houston is not long due to being stopped at probably the position he can play. Yes, because he is a center fielder, and they have a center fielder who's just a little bit more developed. Yeah, Steve Finley, I mean, he was an all-star. I mean, yeah. he was a great center fielder for I think he was like 26, too. So it yeah. was like it was just like the perfect, not perfect, but it was like obvious to where they were just like, yeah, he's going to be our center fielder for the next five years. And you, the you other need thing to move is on. they have – a future Hall of Fame leadoff hitter in Craig Biggio. Oh, yeah. So this is the beginning, because in 94, they execute that ridiculous trade with San Diego where they trade like 20 people all at once. Finley actually goes in that trade. But, uh, yeah, Biggio is blocking him to be their leadoff hitter yep. and moving to second base from behind the dish. So Kenny is traded December 10th, 1991 to where? 
The Cleveland, I'm going to say Indians because that's what they were. They were at the time. Yeah. Um, And his quote, which I love because you can just see the mentality. Oh, yeah. I know this is what he was talked about with the Astros. I know they gave up on me and, and now I'm glad they did. One man's trash is another man's treasure. So he's literally like... And he's not even shitting on the Astros No, either. He's just like, I went from one last place team to another. Let's do this. It literally. And that's how you could tell his mentality of just like working constantly on it. He's just like, no, no, no. Yeah, they're good. I understand why they moved on from me. Now I'm going to go and be the player that he knew he could be. That was what I, I really, I really yeah. liked because... I felt like he was like, I need an organization to back me. Yeah, that and the wants Indians me. were like, and the Indians yeah. were starting to build, but still, is that you, Tolbert? Well, this is literally the era where they get, you know, Jake Taylor, they get Ricky Vaughn, <laughs> they have Jim. <laughs> he's really what we're saying is he's left-handed Willie Mays Hayes. They That's Al- the best. They have way. Albert Bell. Like literally, this is the team that stacks up. They've drafted Manny Ramirez out of the Bronx. So I'm just saying, like this is a an Indians team. You know, Randy Newman kicks in. Go ahead, Ty. <laughs> Burn on Kenny Lofton. Burn on. <laughs> okay. So he's traded for uh, catcher Eddie Tobinze because. They got to replace Biggio behind the dish and infielder Dave Rode, who also went to U of A. Oh, yeah. Interestingly enough. I like that one. So in 92, he's with the Indians, who, while they're not good, they're young, and they're starting to emerge, and Kenny gets to play every day and finishes second in Rookie of the Year voting with 66 stolen bases, which was an AL rookie record, which led the American League, and also broke the Indians' franchise record, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, I like that. So he was, like, literally the first, like, major stolen base guy that Cleveland ever had. Yeah. Which is just, in in your rookie year, I bet in that city, because this is what I love with sports, you're like, oh, this is starting to come together. Exactly. And and you can, like, see it. You're like, ooh, this is all right. One day we're going to find a way how to beat those guys. (laughs) I don't know. I got another guy on the line about some white walls. Can I call you back? Uh, You had mentioned before, first base coach uh, Dave Nelson um, helped refine his base running and also taught him to become a very dangerous bunter. And that was what people were saying was when the bunt became into his arsenal, it opened up his hitting even more because you just didn't know... Like you had to play tight on him because he was so fast. And you set the table for a lineup that's because they've already got Carlos Baerga behind him. They got um, Albert Bell and the pieces are starting to come together for this Cleveland Indians team. Uh, He gets 285 that year. Um, 15 doubles, 8 triples, uh, 5 dingers, 42 RBIs. And uh, also, like I said before, second in Rookie of the Year in 92. Yeah. Um, how he lost to Pat Listash, I will never know. But uh, 93, uh, still coming into his own. He wins a gold glove that year. Yeah, it's his first of a couple in a row, which I, when I think of – it's so weird with baseball because you should be thinking of both sides. But when I think of Kenny, I always think of base stealing, leadoff, and I don't think of – Literally, he was, he was one of the best Golden Gloves. He was a great defender, Center fielders. Dude. Yeah, like in that era. Like, yeah, he was so good because he was so fast. Again. Yeah. Uh, leads Major League Baseball in uh, stolen bases with 70. Uh, hits 325 with 28 doubles, 116 runs, and signs a four-year, $6.3 million contract with Cleveland. So he's there to stay. 
Or so we think. And then 94, we all know what happens in 94. He makes the all-star team, wins a gold glove, finishes fourth in the MVP voting. Led the AL with um, 160 hits, 105 runs, 32 doubles, 12 dingers, and 57 RBIs, and hits 349. Chicks dig the long ball, Chris. Well, he he's getting his batting average up over 300 every single time. And as your leadoff guy, it's it's yeah. Yeah, I mean, we can you know the uh, analytics people can be like batting average doesn't matter if your leadoff guy is hitting 349. That's pretty goddamn impressive. Yep. Um, so this sets the table for um, – also led the league in steals that year with 60. Um, 95, um, this is the year that everything comes together. Well, yeah, it's this young team coming together. They're right off of this strike year where I feel like they they really were putting the pieces together. And Well, there's play 144 games that year in Major League Baseball because of the shortened season. The Indians win 100. I know. They have the best record in baseball. Um, they had six guys in their lineup who hit over 300, Kenny included. I, I thought that was fucking crazy because, yeah. like, you look at, like you were saying, batting average now guys don't really – or they don't think it's as important. But you were just like, they were raking so much all the time. Well, I mean, and they just dominated American League pitching with Kenny at the top. Then you have Bayerga, then you have Bell, then you have Eddie Murray who's having a uh, end of career renaissance, Jim Tomey. I mean, this is a stacked lineup. Even Taylor at the end of that. Yeah, Taylor know. at the end of that was um, very impressive. Bad team. knees, but great great hitter. Team leader. Uh, leads the AL in stolen bases with 54. MLB in triples. Take that, Frank Thomas. I heard somebody, well, I heard somebody say that he stretches doubles into triples, and you're just like, yeah, and it immediately made me think of Frank Thomas, where he takes triples and turns them into doubles. doubles. Like, I think I'm just going to Cadillac into <sighs> second base. All-star gold glove hits 310 with 93 runs and uh, 53 uh, RBIs. He uh, basically in the uh, that season, um, they go to the playoffs, obviously, and uh, they beat Boston in the ALDS. They sweep them. I mean, it's pretty much an ass-kicking series. And then in the ALCS where... Basically, he's the best player on both teams in this ALCS because they don't draw the Yankees. They draw the Mariners. Yep. And uh, in this uh, ALCS, he hits 458. And in the game, most important game six, on a wild pitch, he scores from second base off a Randy Johnson wild pitch. If you've never seen this play, it's amazing because he just hustles all the way because he, like, he's stealing third. The guy from third scores, and it's the difference in the whole game. They end up winning and going to the World Series. Well, he notices the guy isn't hustling to go pick up the ball. Dan he's, Wilson, just kinda, yeah. he's just kind of tr- like trotting over because he thinks that nobody's going to be stealing second and then third. He notices that and immediately goes. And they literally said they were like, oh, yeah, that was the demoralizing factor for like the series with the Mariners because it's game six. They go into game seven and... Oh, no, the series ends in game seven. Oh, it ain't, oh, yeah. They oh, don't yeah. even play a game seven. So there you go. Yeah. Um, so they're in the World Series. Kenny in that um, oh, series, yeah, I wanted is... to mention, though, in the ALCS, had an OPS of 1.142. As a leadoff hitter, that's amazing. So they go to the World Series in Atlanta, and this is like the primo matchup because it's the Indians' bats against the Braves' arms. Yep. Because you have Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz, and as we discussed in a previous episode, Steve Avery pitches and starts one of these games. And Kenny, although in a couple of the games, particularly game one, when he gets on base, 
all he does is steal. I mean, in the six-game series, he has six stolen bases. The problem is he hits only 200, and the rest of Cleveland's bats pretty much go silent. A lot of complaining regarding the strike zone from Kenny. I actually saw him in an interview, and this is like when you guys, when you see guys like way past their retirement and they bring it up, yeah. that's how just absolutely salty you know they are because he literally was like, that Brave series, the strike zone was so unreliable. So it wasn't even like it was just big. It was, but I mean, if you watched Braves games in the 90s, a lot of the time that strike zone was larger yes. for especially their big three in Maddox, Smoltz, and Glavin. And they kept saying he's painting that outside, and you're like, no, he's painting outside the lines, He's man. painting in the opposite batter's box. I'm not going to pass him through kindergarten because he can't paint inside the lines. That's the point I'm trying to make. I drew the duck blue because I'd always wanted to see a blue duck. So the series was not quacktastic uh. for Cleveland. They end up losing in six games. Um, but in 96, it's more of the same, although the Indians look a little bit different because Albert Bell is gone. Or no, 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 this is the last year of Albert Bell. Excuse me. But they still have a great regular season. And, yeah, Baerga's yeah. gone, and um, I think Eddie Murray goes to Baltimore. That's what happens this season. But Kenny leads Major League Baseball in stolen bases with 75, leads the AL in at-bats, has a career-high 210 hits, 132 runs, 35 doubles, 14 dingers, and 64 RBIs with a 317 batting average to go along with an all-star game and gold glove. And in the first round, they draw Baltimore. And they draw pissed off Eddie Murray because he wasn't getting the payments that he thought he should have been. It's also an interesting series because Cleveland's longtime catcher, Sandy Alomar, is playing against Roberto Alomar. Oh, yeah. I believe. Oh, no, no, no. The following season's when he spit on John Hirschbeck. But it's a tough series for Kenny and the Indians because Baltimore are a really good team this year. And they end up beating them at Jacobs Field to seal it 3-1. to one. And sadly for Kenny, going into that offseason, you're thinking, well, I need a contract extension because my four years are almost up. But what does Cleveland decide to do well, before the 97 season? They said, because I think they lost out on, on Albert for free. And that's, yeah. what, that's this is what they said. They were like, we don't want Kenny to go, but we can't take that chance that he'll literally go as a free agent. So they ended up uh, trading him to the Braves, which I thought was wild. But then you think about it, you're just like, oh, yeah, that kind of makes sense when you hear about the trade because it was a – I think it was David Justice and – Marquise Grissom. Grissom. Two all-stars, two guys on their 95 team that beat Kenny. And they said they were just like, we had to get rid of those contracts, and it – Kenny coming in like filled this void that they needed. So like they were, they were saying how like it just benefited both franchises. It was one of those deals. But Kenny was shocked because Cleveland was like, you know, the team that he loved, and as we'll get into later, a team that he keeps coming back to. I thought when he comes back, he, he has a pretty good quote about but it. But the yeah, fans were pissed off. Like yeah. even Mike Hargrove said his daughter wouldn't speak to him. Because Kenny was her favorite player. Well, he was. He was very fan-loved. He was very, like, the engine of this team. And that that might have been one where they should have looked to see if he wanted to go in free agency or what would have happened. But it makes sense because you're out Bell, and you're not going to be able to pay Lofton at this specific juncture, but you get two corner outfielders to replace your left and center fielder. Yep. So... 
or you're no 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 not two corner outfielders. Grissom played center field. Justice played left. But um, so Kenny's in Atlanta. Uh, makes the All Star team. Hits three thirty three. Uh, twenty doubles. Um, only twenty seven stolen bases. But the Braves went over a hundred games because that's just what they did in the nineties. I thought I feel like there was something wrong with the base running coach because he had, he was thrown out the most and yeah, he had the least amount of it, it was a it it was the his weirdest base running year yeah definitely in his prime that's yeah. that's why i thought it was so weird cuz he was thrown out the most and he had the least amount of steals so they go to the playoffs uh, they sweep the astros in the uh, nlds which had to probably feel good for kenny yep um, then they go into the weird nlcs we've brought it up on the benia oh, episode yeah. um, we've didn't bring it up so much on the Bonds one, but in the Benio one we did. There's the game five where Kenny's now on Atlanta, and the umpires are totally screwing him with. It's, in my opinion, the worst postseason umpired game I've ever watched. I saw something where they were like, it's top three, and we're going back to games like in the 50s where you're yeah. like, oh, that guy's obviously paid off. Like yeah. that's, But he wasn't paid off. He was just literally calling the most outside pitches strike. There's one where Kenny thought he was walked by an obvious ball, yeah. and then the next ball is even further outside. And he's like, the the announcers are actually hilarious because they have to be like, did you see that bitch? Like Bob Costas was yeah. like, way outside. I'm a douchebag. And oh. then Bob Euchre's like, look at the tits on the lady in the fourth row. <laughs> so he only... <laughs> Sorry, Kenny. But it's one of those things where he really felt like he got screwed by the umps multiple times in the postseason. I mean, there's players that, like, piss and moan, you know, after their careers are over. Like, if this only happened to me, if you watch those playoff series, you're like, you know what? You can't go back and change anything, but you're not wrong, Kenny. Yeah. It's like Walter Sobchak. Am I wrong? Well, he he's literally referencing things that you can look at. You're just like, oh, yeah, that was horrible. Yeah. Like, that was just god-awful. So he hits only 185 um, in that series. They end up losing in six. But... Kenny, because Atlanta just brought him in as a mercenary for the one season, um, leading into the 98 season and 97 winter, he is a free agent. And he decides to go back to Cleveland. Very few people go, you know where I want to go? Cleveland. Back to Cleveland. Back to Cle- Normally but when you leave, you're like, I'm never going back. He liked them so much. This was his quote that yeah. I was going to say. He said, uh, it's like I was a ghost for a year, but now I'm back. He's like ghost dad without all the horrible implications. That would have been crazy if he went to Atlanta, won a World Series, oh, and I then know. came back. Oh, jeez. Yeah. That would have been awesome. So he's back in Cleveland. They're already stacked headed into the 98th. Um, he's an all-star again, uh, hits 282, 31 doubles, over 100 runs, 54 stolen bases for Kenny, and much like the Braves in the 90s, Cleveland's making the postseason every year. Um, they win the ALDS against Boston, yep. hits uh, two dingers, and hits 375 in that uh, series, and then they go to the ALCS and face the Evil Empire who are crushing people's dreams in 1998, including a young Dominic DiTola in the following series. Um, they lose, and this is the Yankee team that won 114 yeah, regular yeah. season games. Um, and they won in six. And Yeah, the, yeah. hits only 185 yep. um, in the series. Does have a dinger, Kenny, against the damn Yankees. I think Clue Haywood had a pretty big series for them. Yep. 99, this is probably Cleveland's best team, Herdy, in my uh, opinion. Pitched at his son in a father-son <laughs> game. 
It's brutal. Um, but yeah, 99, they come back. Like you were saying, this is a good Cleveland team that couldn't get over the hump. So honestly, this team had everything but deep starting pitching. John Hart has talked about this, their old GM, where after that 97 World Series, they had a deal in place to send Jarrett Wright, who pitched that game seven, they lost to the Marlins. Um, and uh, I believe Bartolo Colon, because he's their number one starter now for the Indians. They had a deal in place to send them both to Montreal for Pedro Martinez. Oh, wow. And he couldn't Jeez. pull the trigger on it. And in 99, despite having arguably the best team in the American League, because yep. Kenny's leading off, and you have Omar Vizquel, Robbie Alomar, Hall of Fame, Manny Ramirez, David Justice, Jim Tomey, Travis Fryman, and Sandy Alomar behind the dish. They run away with the AL Central that year. Kenny's an all-star. Hits 301, 110 runs, two, uh, 28 doubles, six triples, seven dangers, 25 stolen bases. And there, you're thinking, because in the 99 ALDS against Boston, they go up 2-0 to zero in yep. the five-game series. Then game three, they lose. Game four, I think they're ass-blasted by like 20 runs at Fenway. And in game five... What ends up happening, the Indians take an early lead, but Kenny gets hurt, number one. Yeah, he like dislocates his shoulder. Dislocates his shoulder and tears his rotator cuff. But Boston, because it's a game five, they send in Pedro Martinez and completely stop the bleeding in relief. So another one in the long line of Cleveland postseason failures. But uh, Kenny's back chasing a ring in 2000. Um, they don't end up making the playoffs, but they he missed has, by one. I wanted to say this: he either made the playoff every single year, yep. or literally missed by one game. They it, lose it's it to the White Sox. It's literally crazy when you look at. It, there's like, oh, they missed the wild card. Oh, by one game again. Yeah. And he bounces around and does this. You're just like, Jesus, poor Kenny. Um, 107 runs that year, career high. 15 dingers, 30 steals, and uh, the Indians have one more in them though. After this year, and so does Kenny. Yep. Um, 2001. 2001, basically the same team from 99. Um, 261, 91 runs, 14 days. He's getting a little power later in his career. Well, he did that, that movie in the offseason. Yeah, and now he did. He's, you know, he's got that leg problem. Yep. Yeah, he's got that cramp. Karen is left a little low. I think that's going to hurt him in later rounds. <laughs> God bless you, Bob Uecker. Uh Only 16 stolen bases, but they still win the AL Central. Yep. And uh, in that ALDS, they're up 2-1 to one on, uh, go check out that episode, everybody, the 2001 Mariners. Mm -hmm. um, again, this team, their Achilles heel throughout the 90s, early 2000s was a starting pitching depth. Um, they end up losing, but there was a fun moment uh, in, that, uh, in that season on August 5th. Oh, yeah. It's the we brought it up in the Mariner episode, so you check that out. But they win 15 to 14, where Kenny scores the winning run in a. They were down 12 to two. Didn't he score the tying and the winning? Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. um, I saw they were down 12 nothing, and when they were down 12 nothing, because you get these stupid stats, and literally the Mariners were a hundred percent to win it. Yeah. And then they were like, well, obviously not, because in the ninth they scored. I think they ended up scoring nine in the ninth. It's yeah, it's a crazy crazy game so the catcher for this um team was eddie tobinzi who he was, who traded, was traded for uh traded for back in the day and he said uh he was the first one to give him a hug when he crossed home plate to yep. win the game so uh 2001 though unfortunately is kenny's last 
year with the Mar- or with the uh, Indians, and he's well, I shouldn't say his last one, but last of this go around. Yes. Um, so he becomes a free agent. Becomes a free agent and becomes quite the nomad, as we'll discuss later. Mm. Um, so in 2002, uh, February 1st, he signs a one-year, uh, just over a million dollars with the White Sox, uh, division rivals. I think it's interesting because he grew up in East Chicago. He played for the Sox in South Chicago, and then he goes to the Cubs in West Chicago. <laughs> Chicago and then in North Chicago to the Cubs again. Yeah. East Virginia, South Virginia. Uh, you guys are going to be drunk before we get out of the East Coast. <laughs> East Virginia just says it again. Yeah. Oh God! So, so not the best. Um, the White Sox thought they were going to be a, a more of a playoff contender, and they just weren't. Yeah, and it's not any fault of Kenny's. No, uh, hits about two sixty, forty two RBIs, twenty two stolen bases. But luckily for Kenny, as we were discussing before the podcast, number one, he's a nice guy that everybody likes. Number two, he's a great leadoff hitter and has postseason experience. And number three, if you have those attributes. Contending teams want you to play for them. And At trade deadline, I feel like he was always one of those options where you're like, well, do we want to go for Kenny? Yeah. yeah. It's like, do we need some help at leadoff? So he's traded to the Giants on uh, July 18th, 2002 for Ryan Moe and Felix Diaz. And the Giants are in the middle of a postseason push this year. And we brought up in our Bonds episode. Um, in 46 games for them, he hit 267. And then in the NLDS, as Barry Bonds is emerging, uh, Kenny hits 350 in their ga- uh, five game series against Atlanta, yeah. which had to feel good for him. And then in the NLCS, they play St. Louis. And they play the cards. Yeah. And in game five, he's a bit of a postseason hero for the Giants. I um, thought if you hear the what Dusty Baker said, he was yeah. like, I thought I was going to pull him out. And then my son goes. His three-year-old son that was almost trampled in that year's World Series. Yes. Literally goes, if Kenny gets a hit, then we win. He was like, I will leave him in. And he does. He, he rips one to lefty, the. Lefty-lefty matchup. Yep. He had two singles earlier in the game. So he uh, singles off of Steve Klein. And they win 2-1 to one and go to the World Series. And, well, <laughs> they really let this one get away, Chris. Yes. <laughs> Talk about your all-time backfires. It, um, it sucks because you look at, like, the lineup, like, Kenny, Bonds, if you like Bonds, whatever. Snow, I mean, Even Dusty David Baker. Bell. All of these yeah. guys who just don't have, like, you know – Rings essentially in it, they, it just really fucking blew up in their face. Benito Santiago is launching steroided dingers for this team. It just broke my heart. Um, so they're up five runs in the seventh inning of game six. Um, takes Russ Ortiz out. They lose six to five and then they lose four to one in game seven. Yep. Kenny does hit 290 in the World Series, but it does not matter. It does not matter. Um, then, because his contract is up. In uh, March 14th, 2003, he signs with the lowly Pittsburgh Pirates. Well, Pittsburgh Pirates are coming off that rehab. You know what I mean? They're not doing coke anymore. They're trying to get their shit together. So they sign him to a one Real year. people are dealing <laughs> cocaine in restrooms. And to me, that's just shameful. It's very Wear shameful. a parrot suit or don't. Look, if you have to have just the eye patch because it's hot as fuck, that's fine. Yeah. Like, dress like a pirate. That's okay. You don't even have to go full parrot, but like dealing cocaine in street clothes. Come on, man. What it's, not, is, it's not the Pittsburgh way. That's not the, thing. the Pittsburgh way. So in 84 games, he does pretty well. Yeah. Um, hits 277. Um, 
26 RBIs, I believe uh, nine home runs and 18 steals. The problem is, and we've brought it up on earlier podcasts, the Pirates are just cheap pieces of garbage 100%. ownership. And this is a season where not only do they cut payroll, they deal anybody worth a shit within that organization. Because this was the year, actually, and I remember because I was happy, um, their best player is Brian Giles. And he was a solid player throughout the 2000s for the Pirates and later the Padres. They deal him to San Diego shortly after Kenny's traded. And Kenny is not only traded within the National League, he's traded within the division to the Cubs. So they trade him and their other best player, Aramis Ramirez, an all-star third baseman, for Matt Brubeck, Jose Hernandez, and a man named Bobby Hill. I like fruit pies. Does it come with a hat? You know what? Bobby Hill was a, he was a locker room guy, though. He was that a locker was room thing. guy. What are you talking about? Get out of here, Bobby. <laughs> that Bobby Hill ain't right. So I'm traded 23rd of July. Um, the Cubs. So he's back with Dusty Baker again. Yeah, I saw that. I thought that was interesting. He comes when Dusty's in the Cubs. They uh, meet up. He does a great job for Chicago, too, because this is a stacked roster. Ready to reverse that Billy Goat curse or whatnot. 56 games, hits 327, 12 stolen bases. The Cubs win the NL Central. For the first time in 50 years or whatever it was, I forget. I don't think they'd won. They'd won in 84 and 89, the NL East. But before that, I think it might have been 45. Yeah. Um, So in... uh, NLDS, they get the Braves, win in five games, yep. thanks to uh, the Wooden Pryor top of the rotation. Hits 286 with the one dinger in uh, three stolen bases, so they're in the NLCS. And who does he meet up with again? <laughs> they meet up with the, the Marlins, just... I f- Oh, I freaking hate them. Just every time they seem to make the playoffs, it just breaks their way, and you go, the people of Miami only deserve the cocaine. They don't deserve winning baseball. You've already got attractive women and classy drugs. How they, dare you? They don't deserve cocaine from a from a parrot. No. That's the thing that we know about the Marlins. They deserve it from a guy going, Segonato the bad guy. So in the NLCS they go or the NLCS they go up three to one. Kenny's a huge reason why. In this yep. series, he hits three twenty-three with eight runs, ten hits, and two RBIs. Unfortunately, Josh Beckett shuts him down in game five. And in game six, they're up in the eighth inning, Chris, and a fly ball goes to left field, which Moises Alou magically catches. No, he doesn't. It's such a iconic play. Or- do you know what I mean? For everybody in that baseball thing, where even the announcers are like, "Why? Why would you do that?" Tom You're Rudiman a and Cubs Steve fan. Lions. Yeah, yeah, they're just like, I forget what that guy's name is, but yeah, that that he must have felt, Steve Bartman. Steve Bartman. He must have felt like the biggest asshole because you know you get caught up in shit. Yeah. And you're just like, that ball's coming to me. And then you're like, oh, they're, they have a game going on. No, you try and catch it when the other team is trying to field it. Yeah. Not when your team's trying to field it. You stay the hell In away. the playoffs. It's called fan etiquette. The man needed baseball cotillion, and he failed them. Oh, well, they still won a World Series later. Go Cubs, I guess. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so... He's a, again. He's a free agent, and who does he sign with this offseason on Festivus 2003? He he makes a comment uh, a couple of years back because he kind of made the 
conscious decision to go ring chasing. Which I don't fault any professional sports player for doing. Not at all, especially with his skill set, where everyone's yeah. just like, we want that. So he signs with the Yankees, and they are so... This is when they sign Alex Rodriguez in that summer. Like they're yeah, so jam packed with with people that Gary Sheffield Gary, is on this team. Listen yep. to that episode. Um, God, yeah, the whole the, the, and then still all the guys from the '90s and yes. early 2000s who were winning World Series championships. So he signs a two year deal, and uh, actually, I, I really like this in Cleveland yes. for the Yankees. He got his 2000th hit, and he goes, "Yeah, I thought they were just gonna like you know clap for me, and then we we're gonna get the thing going." No, nope. and they gave him like a standing ovation for like a couple of minutes. Like it was like he was like it was one of the best. Like reactions that he could have. You, know, you were what made us not god awful, Kenny. Yeah. You were a big reason. You were there when it was complete and utter garbage. There were five fans in center field beating a drum, culturally appropriating horribly, but still hilarious. Too high? <laughs> what does that even mean, too, too high? high. No, yeah. I, too high, man. You don't. <laughs> So 2004, he only plays in 83 games because this lineup is so stacked. Torrey kind of can't find a way. Joe Torrey can't find a way to play him, so he hits 275 in the 83 games. Um, they go to the ALCS after beating the Twins in the ALDS and play the Red Sox. And I think we all know the story of what happens in that series. I actually have a fun little, a fun little story. So oh, yeah. I used to play poker with these guys, and one of them was a Yankees fan, and the other one was a. Red Sox fan and Yankees go up three nothing and we're playing poker so bets start getting chucked yeah. around and he goes if the Red Sox come back and win which I know they won't uh, I'll jump off this apartment building and it was three stories oh, geez. and so they come back and win and there was one of those agreements where he was like all right I can't jump off the top I'll jump off the second floor he jumps off the second floor and ruins his ankle like it was one of those because we were like in college and we were like no, you should probably go to the hospital. And he was like, I'm going to wait it out. Oh, shock. So I don't know if he broke it. I just know it was multiple colors. No, it never months. worked properly yeah. again. He's like, no, I can't sprint. <laughs> so so that, that was how ridiculous it was because it's the first time this ever happened. A team went up 3 nothing. It's like watching Anderson Hunt drain that fucking oh, shot, Jesus. dude. Yeah. Like in college. But uh, 2005, um, signs with the Phillies in December 2000, uh, 3rd, 2004. And, uh, or he's traded, actually, he's traded. for and, Felix Rodriguez. Excuse me. And this was the only time I, I said it. This was the only time that I heard him talk bad about one of his teams. And he it never was enjoyed playing with the Yankees. Yes. But it wasn't like he didn't like his teammates or anything. He just didn't get to play. Yes. He felt like he wasn't in the core group of guys, if you will. Yeah. Damn Derek Jeter <laughs> shutting everyone out. Douchebag. Anyway, um, uh, goes to the Phils, hits 335 for yeah. them. He's like 38 years old, and the Phillies are starting to kind of build that core of talent you'll see later. Uh, 110 games, 22 steals, 15 doubles, five triples. He's like out five triples at 38 years old. I love that. Oh, my God. Uh, two dangers, 36 RBIs. Uh, Phillies just missed the postseason, though, that year, but they got uh, – By one game. Yeah, they, <laughs> they do. Missed, they missed the wild they card do. Yeah. by one game. You know what's funny? Again. So in 2005, every team in the NL East finished with an above 500 record, all of which were better than the Padres that went 82 and 80 but made the playoffs. But made the playoffs. That's... <laughs> oh, Padres, 
Oh, Padres. Uh, so that uh, offseason on December 20th, 2005, he signs with the other evil empire in the Dodgers for the 2006 season because, hey, why not join a contending team? Yeah. Uh, hits 301, uh, 15, 12 triples, 39-year-old Kenny Lofton with those 12 triples, um, three homers, 32 stolen bases, 32 freaking stolen, like, the only person that is that ageless on the base paths is, like, Lou Brock and Ricky Henderson. Well, he literally doesn't lose his speed, which... You see guys lose it when they hit 33, whatever, you know what I mean? But I feel like he didn't have an... I think a lot of it is he stayed in shape, though. And just didn't have any injuries. Yeah, Yeah, like he didn't have any major leg injuries, and he just didn't... You're right. He probably didn't have any problems with drugs or alcohol. No. You know what I mean? Well, I think that was... People had talked about his upbringing where, like, he appreciated everything that he had and the work ethic to maintain a very lucrative professional baseball career. Yeah. Um, So in 2006... um, while the Dodgers don't win the division, oddly enough, the Padres won it again for the second straight year. Oh, those college days, skipping class and watching them on ESPN. But uh, they make the wild card um, where they are promptly swept by the goddamn Mets. Yeah. Kenny does not enjoy a very good NLDS. Goes one for 13. Bats 077. That's not good. No, it was bad. Um, but they were the Dodgers were bad. That was the thing in that three, you know. Well, it was a bad matchup for him because the Mets were actually really good that year. Um, uh, that December twelfth, two thousand six, he signs with the Texas Rangers. I'm kind of fi- trying to figure out why, because Texas was not very good in two thousand and six. Maybe he just wanted to hold out for a deadline deal. Which uh, well, I saw after he goes to the Rangers, he becomes he tied with somebody for the most um, teams played for by a position player. Because I guess the was it Bobby Bonds. <laughs> No, it was somebody else who I didn't recognize. Oh, okay. um, but I guess pitchers obviously were traded more than him, but as a position player, because I think this is his 11th team or 12th team or some shit like that. And you're just like, Jesus, man. Kenny gets does, around. Yes, he does get around. But uh, you're right. With this Rangers trade, it was almost like... For 2007, yeah. It, it was almost like, it was like, yeah, he's not ring chasing anymore if you know what i mean like it, he's almost just reside to be like well i'll play for the rangers this year they're paying me to play baseball yes. of course and i'm gonna do well because he hits uh 303 in 84 games he's 40 doubles three triples at 40 take that frank thomas uh we're a pro frank thomas podcast so i just love his lack of career I know. triples Nothing against the guy. It's no. just hilarious. Hall of Famer in every right. Seven homers, 23 RBIs, 21, 21 steals at 40 freaking years old. My God. But he gets a, he gets a little help because on July 27th, 2007, he's traded back to Cleveland. I it's do like this. Third stint in Cleveland. Yep. For um, They uh, go um, that season. Cleveland is actually very good. Um, it's when they win the AL Central for the first time in a hot minute. Um, they go to the NLDS and they beat the Yankees, which had to feel so, so good. good for yep. him. That was a series with all those bugs on Jabba oh, Chamber. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. The Midges, um, he hits 375 in that series, six for 16, four stolen bases. Um, this was also the postseason in which he broke the postseason stolen bases record. Oh, yes, yes. yes. Which is something that he should have because he was so aggressive in these postseason games. And he played in God knows how many postseason series, the poor bastard. Yep. Um, So they go to the ALCS. 
Um, in game three, he hits a two-run homer off Dice K. Matsuzaka, which makes him the seventh oldest to hit a home run in the postseason. Um, this is also the series, like I said, the 34th stolen base, the most of all time. And Cleveland, by the end of game four, they're up three to one over the Red Sox. And you're thinking, hey, this could be the year. 87 years since their 1920 championship, and they also won in 48. You're thinking, my God. It's coming together. It's all the, coming all together. All the signs are pointing to. They're peeling sections. <laughs> yep. But as we see in typical Cleveland fashion. Well, I mean, that's literally how the movie ends. They don't, they don't win the World Series. <laughs> no, they do not. Um, lose games five and six. And then yeah. in game seven, how he finds himself in these situations is just sad, Chris. Like, it breaks my heart because um, he gets on base with a single, and then Franklin Gutierrez hits one down the line at Fenway in, I believe, the seventh inning. It skips off the wall because Fenway has those weird dimensions where yep. Boggs can get drunk during games in. And instead of sending him, third base coach Joel Skinner holds him up, which you just – let the 40-year-old take a chance, man. I know he, they blew a call where he stole a base yes, earlier, earlier in, the game, in the game. But, like, it's game seven, you son of a bitch. Well, and a lot of Cleveland fans say this was that was the moment that it really screwed them because you see it on Kenny's because he holds up, sees where the ball is, and then he immediately jerks around like, are you kidding? Like, it was almost like this visceral reaction where he was just like, I would have made that. Yep, where you're just like, you like it's basically when you're at a bar and someone comments about how they didn't get their nose bitten off by a Saigon whore, oh, son of a and then bitch. you turn around and go, You bastard! It's Mazzetti, get Jimmy a beer. It's it's horrible, man. Like when you watch it, because he really gets screwed over, and that's his last. Professional by, baseball. Well, game. he gets screwed over by things that aren't his fault, yeah. and it happens multiple times. Two times with umps, maybe. It happened in college basketball. It happened in college. I'm just saying, where it's yeah. He he had one of those sh not shit careers, but one of those where you're just like, oh, that sucks. He had a borderline Hall of Fame career that had some of the biggest heartbreaking moments that were not in any way, shape, and form his fault. Well, this is the and I told you I was going to bring this up. Uh, before the podcast, somebody said this and I had to take it because I thought it was so ridiculously accurate where Kenny Lofton is the Forrest Gump of baseball where he is literally on the side of things happening yeah. where he's like that Indians team with, with you know, Jim and, and Jake and, and Vaughn and you know what I mean? Really? And then he goes to the Giants in the steroid era and then he, he he's on the Cubs when the guy catches the thing. He's on the Yankees when they lose after going up three. He has all of these like literally iconic moments. You're like, oh, Kenny Lofton was in that game too? Right, yeah. He was in that game too? <laughs> Wait. And he was a shrimp boat captain? Yes. I mean... What the hell? And that's how I know. Stealing bases is like a box of chocolate. You never know what you're going to get. You're not going to get a World Series, though. But uh, Joe Torre had a great quote about him. Yes. I did want to bring up. He said, he bounced around a lot of clubs for a reason because it wasn't like he was a malcontent. Like, he, they thought he could help them. He did um, all that was asked of him, and he did a hell of a job. Because, like we said before, he's a leadoff guy, postseason experience. Everybody likes him. How can you not want him on your team? Pedro Martinez said he was one of the hardest batters to face because not only 
his batting, but when he was on base, yeah. you had you had to have him in your mind. And that was the thing that I mean, we've talked about where baseball nowadays has kind of lost it, where it's it's not. There's almost like a mental game that got taken out. And for me, Kenny's just hustle and all of that. Like we were saying, when he, he stole home in that one game where you're just yeah. like, that's the kind of shit that I love about well, just Kenny as a as an athlete. If Kenny played today, he would drive teams nuts because he'd hit the ball the other way. He would bunt. Yep. And pitchers don't know how to hold runners on. He'd be stealing Ricky Henderson triple-digit level bases. Yeah. In this era, but uh, finished his career 299 batting average, 1,528 runs, 2,428 hits, um, 116 triples, 383 doubles, 130 dingers, uh, 781 RBIs, 622 stolen bases, six time All Star, four time Gold Glover, and a Cleveland Indian till the end, big guy. Kenny Lofton and a U of A Wildcat. Yes.